In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids up through the 10th grade please come forward. Good morning. I'm going, I'm going to get a creak in my neck looking back and forth. How many of you have heard the story? Thank you. How many, thank you. <laughs> looking out for old Father Stan. How many of you have heard the story of Pinocchio? Anybody? Anybody know Pinocchio? There was this puppet maker, right? And he was a good puppet maker, loved to make wooden things. And he was trying to make a puppet that looked exactly like a little boy. And as he started carving and shaving and doing things on the puppet, he began to start wishing that he, he had a little boy, a son, because he didn't have any children. He wished with all his heart that he had a son. And so then that night he was going to bed, he looked out at a star out the window and he just wished Wished, wished for what? Wished for what? That that puppet might be a little son to him, right? And so that morning he woke up and the puppet had come to life. Not as a boy, but he was still a puppet. But he came to life, didn't he? And that and that and that puppeteer had a son, or it could be a son if he behaved and was a good puppet and behaved like little boys and girls should behave, right? He, he, he could be a son someday. Now, there's a whole lot more to that story, but I tell you that because our second reading today from Ephesians talks about God adopting us as children, his children, adopting us as his children. There was a time when all of us, everybody in the world was as stiff as a puppet because of the bad things in us, the sin that is in us. But God's love is so great that his light shone on us in the person of Jesus, the son of God, so that we don't have to be like puppets anymore, that we can be lifelike and, and, and real children of God, but only because of what God did. Because God worked on us and came down and became one of us to show us what it's like to have a real life. So we don't have to be puppets. We can be children of God. We are children of God. Every one of you are baptized and, and you're living your life, hopefully, as we all are, in the steps of God, in the steps of Jesus. And so as we watch Jesus, the way he lived his life by reading the Bible, saying our prayers, listening to our parents, listening to our Sunday school teachers, doing all the things that we do, then we become more like Jesus and we have more life in us. And we're not like that puppet anymore. We're like what Jesus, what God wants us to be. He wants us to be alive in him, right? Every single day, he wants us to be a... Sometimes, there are days when I walk around like a puppet. There are. But I'm reminded that Jesus wants me to be alive in him. So I have to accept what he has to give every day so that I can walk in him and have life. Just like you and you and you. Okay?
You think about these things. These are the important things of life. Don't be like a puppet. Be like what Jesus wants you to be. Okay? We don't have a... Okay, you don't, you don't want a coloring packet anyway. But I do need help. Thank you, Jason. Oh, you're powerful. <laughs> Way to go, Jason. Okay, dear Bishop, our dear Bishop is with us today, and I want you to know, dear Bishop, that the congregation insists that I tell a joke. They just always do. They insist. In fact, they get angry. They Your start... nose is growing. <laughs> I didn't get to that part of the story on purpose. So St. Peter, he's watching the gates of heaven but he really has to go to the bathroom. So he asks Jesus to watch the gates for a few minutes. Jesus says, sure, okay. St. Peter, he takes the book of life, this book which lists everyone who's supposed to get into heaven with him to the bathroom, I guess for reading material. <laughs> I don't know, I've never been to heaven. And as Jesus is standing there, he sees this old man leading a donkey up from the earth to the heavens. And he notices the old man has carpenter's tools with him. When the old man gets to the gates, Jesus tells him that he doesn't have the book that he needs, but asks the old man to explain his life and why he felt he should be admitted into heaven. And, and then Jesus would make the decision whether or not to let him into the pearly gates. Well, the man explains, he says, in English, my name would be Joseph, but I didn't live in America or England. I've lived a modest life making things out of wood. I'm not remembered very well by most people, but almost everyone has heard of my son. I call him my son, but I was more of a dad to him. He didn't really come into this world in the usual way. I sent my son out to be among the people of the world. He was ridiculed by many and was even known to associate himself with some pretty unsavory characters, although he himself tried to be honest and perfect. My single biggest reason for trying to get into heaven is to be reunited with my son. And Jesus is he's awestruck by this man's story. And he looks into the old man's eyes and he asks, are you, are you my earthly father? And the old man's face brightens and he looks at Jesus and asks, are you my Pinocchio? <laughs> I just told you the story, you should have saw it coming. <laughs> okay, some people call them jokes. You know, sometimes they're not really jokes, Bishop. I'd like to begin this third, <laughs> see, he's laughing. I'd like to begin this third part of my series on heaven with a, a story written by Andrew Greeley from his autobiography, Confessions of a Parish Priest. It's a story about Fergus McDermott O'Donnell, who was a very good and great king of the kingdom of Kerry in the west of Ireland. There was such peace and prosperity in the kingdom of Kerry during his 50-year reign that his subjects were of one voice in calling him Fergus the Good. 
But at the last, the combination of old age and failing health convinced the king that he was going to die. So he summoned his counselors and his warriors, his poets and his priests, and he ordered that he be carried to the meadow in front of his palace. And there he said a tearful goodbye to his wife of 50 years, his children, his grandchildren, and a little blonde-haired great-granddaughter of three years. And then as life was slipping away, he looked out at the green hills, and the golden fields, and the silver lakes of the kingdom of Kerry. And in the moment before he commended his soul to God, he scooped in his right hand a clump of the thick, rich Kerry turf. The next thing he knew, he stood before the, the gates of a very big city with ivory walls and a great gold and silver gate, in front of which was seated a gentleman appropriately robed and crowned, peering down at the screen of his laptop computer. Now, who would you be, said St. Peter, barely looking up, and what might you be wanting from us? Well, said the king most respectfully, but quite unafraid. I am King Fergus McDermott O'Donnell, King of Kerry, west of Ireland, and if it's all the same to you, I wouldn't mind a bit if you would let me into your city. St. Peter then keyed in several entries into his computer, which revealed the information that King Fergus McDermott O'Donnell was a most acceptable entrance, most acceptable indeed. And scarcely were those words flashed on the screen when the huge gates began to spring open on their hinges. And it was at that moment that Peter spotted the clump of turf in the king's right hand, causing him to manually override the computer, temporarily reclose the gates, said Peter to the king, while the grace of God has seen to it that you don't have to come in here with clean hands, you do have to come in here with empty hands. Didn't anybody ever tell you you can't take it with you? And what would it be like? What would it be that you're holding so tightly in the first place? Tis nothing but a wee bit of carry turf, the better to remind me of home, answered the king. Well, whatever it is, you can't have it here against the rules, you know. I don't make them, but neither can I change them. Drop the dirt and follow me, countered St. Peter. Thus commended, uh, commenced a uh, small but most respectful argument, following which St. Peter and the king agreed to disagree. Thus also were the gates left shut, with the king on the outside still clinging to his precious clump of turf but not for long. A few minutes later, the gates swung open. God himself strode out, looking mighty big and tall. The Lord God embraced the king, slapping him vigorously on the back, as good friends do. Then, in a rich baritone voice, he bid Fergus to come in by the fire, talk a bit about the difficulty of being kings these days, adding in God's own words, as long as you are willing to leave your little handful of sod behind. But even for the Lord God, Fergus McDerm McDermott O'Donnell was not about to drop his turf. 
and he could be a most stubborn man when he got his back up. But the Lord God can also be most devious when he wants something badly enough. So the gates parted, and God emerged a second time dressed as an Irish countryman in a gray suit and a brown sweater, neither of which seemed to have been cleaned or pressed for 40 years. He approached Fergus McDermott O'Donnell, engaging him in pleasant conversation. There was the promise of a warm, cozy fire and a few sips of something Irish over ice, which, said the Lord God in this distinguished voice, doesn't hurt you up here. Then the Lord God added, we can get on with this conversation if you'll just drop that little bit of dirt and come inside. But the ploy failed to take into account the stubbornness of the king and his absolute devotion to his last remaining vestige of carry. So one last time did the Lord God appear, this time disguised as a blonde three-year-old little girl looking for all the world like the king's great-granddaughter. Said she to the king, Oh, King Fergus, they're having such a wonderful party inside for all the little kids, but I can't go unless I find a grown-up who will take me. Would you ever think of being my grown-up? Deeply moved, the king inquired, You mean you can't find another grown-up? No, not at all, she answered. So if you'll just put down your silly sod, we can both go to the party. And at this point, the king lashed out, saying, You're no wee little lass. You're the Lord God in disguise, and I still won't come in without me, Turf. Don't tell me about your rules. I already know them all by heart. And with tears in her eyes, this little blonde girl went back into that heavenly city, and the gates clanged shut behind her. Night came, and with it, the dark. And with the dark, the cold, and with the cold, the rain, and with the rain, the turf began to crumble and turn to mud, which made King Fergus McDermott O'Donnell, King of Kerry, west of Ireland, feel a bit like a fool, an old, cold fool. So darned if he didn't swallow his pride, stroll over to St. Peter, who was nearly asleep at his computer by now, tossed the remainder of the turf on the ground, whereas the gates swung open and the king walked through with dirty but empty hands. And do you know what he found inside? Surely you do. Inside the gates, waiting for Fergus McDermott O'Donnell were the green hills, the golden fields, the silver lakes of the kingdom of Kerry. And what I've been trying to do these past three weeks as I've talked about heaven and the new earth is to try to get you to see the delight, the pure delight of heaven. Paul says to the Romans, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that, is one, that will one day be revealed to us. Let me say a little bit about going to heaven. Everyone who's ever gone to school, be it high school or college or graduate school, knows that there are two words that can turn your stomach into pretzels. Those two words are final exams. I'm here to remind you that no matter what the age, 
we still have one final exam to go. Now, what I'm talking about is a unique kind of final exam. You can't study for it, you can't cram for it, and the reason is we take this kind of exam every single day. In fact, we're taking it right now as we sit here worshiping in church. That is, if we're Christians, right? If we are believers, from the moment we, re we, we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we begin taking this exam. Now, the interesting thing is that we're never going to know our grade until the very end of time. And only Jesus Christ can grade this exam because only Jesus knows the right answers. But get this, you can fail the exam without flunking out of school. This exam does not concern salvation, it concerns service and awards. Because you see, Christians face a totally different type of judgment than do non-Christians. Non-Christians are going to be judged for one sin, and that is the sin of refusing to believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But Christians have already had their sins forgiven because they have received Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What God has done for us has taken care of our sin. But what we do for God still requires his evaluation. The Bible is very specific that any work we do, which God deems worthy, done for the right reason, in the right way, is going to be rewarded. This is where Christianity parts way with every other religion concerning doing good works. Every other religion in the world teaches that good deeds take you to heaven, if indeed they do believe in heaven. But that's not what Christianity believes. We do not believe that good works take us to heaven. We do believe that those good works follow us to heaven. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord. From now on they are blessed indeed, for they will rest from all their toils and all their trials, for their good deeds will follow them. Again, do not mistake salvation for rewards. Salvation depends upon Christ's work for us. Rewards depends upon our works for Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 says, each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. And in Revelation 22:12, Jesus says, See, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay all according to their deeds. Now, there will be no favorites, no plea bargaining, no bribing of the judge. We're all going to be reviewed in exactly the same way. It will be a fair judgment because Jesus himself will be doing the judging. That's what John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to his Son. There will be no exemptions, no exceptions, no excuses for this judgment. You know, I know there are a lot of Christians who would just like to kind of sneak into heaven and let that be it. There's not really, they're not really interested in rewards. They just as soon skip the review go straight in, but everybody, everybody, everybody
has to take the final exam. And I don't mind telling you, for some, it's going to be a very embarrassing exam, but we all must take it. Because 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, sooner or later, we will have to face God, regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either bad or good. Again, it doesn't concern salvation. It concerns awards. So my suggestion is, whenever you do anything that you would call a good deed, make sure that it passes the glory test. And what I mean by that is this. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, do everything heartily and freely to God's glory. If you will live by that principle, it will save you a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of grief, keep you from a whole lot of sin, because anything you can't do to the glory of God, you shouldn't do. I like to think of it like this. If I begin to question whether what I am doing is good or bad, I ask myself this question. Am I playing on the Lord's team or am I playing on the enemy's team? And if I can answer that I'm playing on the Lord's team, then I know that I'm doing it for God's glory. Okay, to sum up the past three weeks, here's what I believe. I believe that heaven will be much more than a place where we go to just sit around on clouds with our harps. I believe that qualities such as loving and caring, thinking and learning, touching, reaching, growing, imagining, will be preserved, will be enhanced in the life to come. I cannot imagine it, that all of these things which characterize my, la- my life at its fullest and finest just suddenly stops when I die. I can't tell you how God is going to flesh out the next life except through what we find in Scripture, what I've spoken about the last two weeks. But I do believe in some sense that he will flesh it out. I do not believe that you and I will simply linger on as vaporous spirits. I believe in the language of the Apostles' Creed that we will be given some kind of resurrection body. I believe that we will have identity and personality. I believe that we will continue to relate to one another. I believe that old wounds will be healed, old separations bridged, and that the great distances that once divided us from God will be shortened to a point of relative insignificance. I believe that love will survive. Love will triumph. I believe that our most precious relationships will be restored because going on eternally disconnected would be intolerable, wouldn't it? But don't get me wrong, I'm in no hurry to go. I love the sights of earth. I love the smells of earth. I love the feel of earth. I love the people of earth. And when the time comes, you will not find me clinging to a fistful of earth. Because when the doors of heaven do open for me, I will first bow down before the Lord of the universe. And after he gently nudges me to rise, I will look beyond him 
and I will see the green hills and the golden fields and the silver lakes of the new earth where God will dwell with us and we with him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.